Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Morning Harvest, my name is Dave. It's my privilege to serve as one of the pastors at Harvest. And every Sunday, it's been our practice in recent months to just point out a piece of good news. We hear a lot of bad news in the world, so every Sunday, we just share a little piece of local good news related to our church or our community. And today, what I want to share is you are our good news. Last Sunday, we had sub-zero temperatures. I was in the East Coast where it was considerably warmer. I was doing some ministry in New York and New Jersey. But I heard from the team back home through text that it was cold enough here that there was some discussion on Sunday morning whether there should even be in-person service for safety reasons. And the call was made to just go forward. And 231 of you showed up to church. So that's awesome. Uh, Thank you for being faithful to come and worship the Lord in person. I think that's really encouraging uh, for so many people who wonder, uh, you know, are we going to really show up? And you did. Uh, I also want to share that Pastor Frank has been um, leading the charge for a campaign called The Year with the Bible, encouraging us to make some level of commitment to spend a year really digging into the Word of God. And 34 of you have responded. There are different plans and different approaches, but it's really encouraging that 34 people have made a conscious commitment to increase their commitment to spending time with God's Word this year. We really hope and pray that that commitment will produce spiritual fruit in your life, that you will be blessed and encouraged as you spend time in the Bible. This morning, I want to share a message that's not part of a series, but just something that the Lord placed on my heart. And the title of the message is Judge Not. And the text we're going to draw from is Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 5. This is a part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, And here's what the word of God says. These are the words of Jesus. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye. You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. I remember the first time I heard this saying that uh, everyone who drives faster than you is a maniac and everyone who drives slower than you is an idiot. And I just remember thinking, man, that's really true. I I don't think any context um, reveals my true heart more than when I'm driving. (laughs) Any of you guys relate to that? Like, do you find yourself the least patient, the least gracious when you're driving? And and I think that saying is funny because it's kind of true. Judging is hardwired into the human spirit. And we judge in all directions. We judge those we perceive to be above us. We judge those we perceive to be below us. That person that just passed you is a maniac, but he just passed you calling you an idiot. (laughs) And the person you're tailgating who's driving like an idiot so slowly under the speed limit is calling you a maniac. I think judgment is a universal human practice. It's a habit of our hearts that we can't seem 
to easily get over. It's just there within us. And, and usually, like in that illustration, the standard of measure for what is right or normal is ourselves. I think that's one way we cope psychologically to feel okay, is we need to know in some measure, we find some place where we're doing what is right and good, and then we compare ourselves with others, and we're happy when someone measures more poorly than us. And I don't think we do this um, consciously all the time. I think it's a subconscious impulse in us to measure ourselves against our fellow human beings. I've had a number of conversations over the last year where people have shared with me very earnestly that one of the biggest barriers to their coming to faith was the experience of being judged by people who were, uh, who were Christians and then later sometimes seeing hypocrisy in the very person who was judging us. I, I think every one of us has had that experience because we all judge and we are all being judged. I don't think that's a, a unique experience to only a few. I think so many people have had the experience of being judged by someone and then discerning as you get to know them that there's hypocrisy in that judgment. Those two things have probably driven more people away from faith than anything else. Hypocrisy and judgment. And in this passage, those two impulses come together and Jesus tackles them head on. Now listen, when Jesus says, judge not, or in other translations, do not judge, here's what he's not saying. He's not saying that we shouldn't exercise moral discernment. It's right for us to know the difference between what is right and what is wrong. In fact, that kind of discernment, morally, is foundational to what we call justice and righteousness. You can't fight for justice without a clear sense of discernment about what is right and what is wrong. And Jesus isn't saying that for everyone to feel good, we should just erase those distinctions. They matter. And they matter a great deal to God. It's the reason Jesus went to the cross to begin with is because there is a difference between what is right and what is wrong. And we are meant to judge that way, to be very clear-eyed on the difference between those two things. What Jesus is prohibiting, though, is to do that moral distinction in a way that carries a sense of self-righteousness and condemnation over the person who is in violation of what we perceive to be God's standard. In other words, God is not, Jesus isn't telling us not to have moral distinctions. He's saying do not have a self-righteous, condemning spirit of judgment in the way you draw those distinctions, especially in the lives of other people. It's not even healthy to do that to yourself, but we certainly are prohibited from doing that in the lives of other people. Why? Because this kind of judgment is spiritually damaging and it in fact hinders God's work. The reason we sometimes are, are prompted to judge someone else spiritually is because we see something off between them and the word of God and we want that to be fixed. But that judgmental condemning spirit exactly gets in the way of our goal, which is to see that person align themselves with the word of God. Now, I want to just give a disclaimer right up front. This is not going to be a message that encourages a sort of touchy-feely, let's protect everyone's self-esteem and pretend it's all good. That is not the direction of this message at all. But it is a call to watch out for something that is very to, easy to miss in ourselves as we do these works 
of sounding the alarm, of challenging and sharpening one another, it's very easy to slip into a kind of self-blindness when it comes to the work of moral discernment. And so Jesus is calling us to be alert, not only to others. In other words, if your first thought is, man, I got to send the link to this message to someone else, you're already starting off on the wrong foot. This message is for us. The whole week as I was writing this message, the Holy Spirit was piercing my heart. I wasn't thinking about anyone else who's judged me. I've been thinking about the many ways I impulsively judge my fellow man. And woman. I mean, let's be equal here. We judge everybody, and I have no exception to that. Neither are you. Even if you've recently had the experience of being judged and it stings, remember that you've, do, you've done and probably are doing the same thing pretty regularly. This message is for all of us. I said that this kind of condemning self-righteous spirit of judgment blocks the work of God, and it, I want to explore how that happens. First, it blocks the work of God in ourselves. Now, I generally try to stay active and push myself physically, so it's because, you know, I'm getting a little older, and so I do little things like I park a little farther away. If there are stairs or escalators or moving walkways, I, I try to walk. I take the stairs. So little things like that have just become habits to try to stay active. And I'll be honest. So then when I'm at the airport lugging my suitcase and I see the moving walkway and it looks like a bunch of people just sitting there getting pulled along, I'm like, ah, oh, you lazy people. And I walk past them feeling a little snooty and superior. Probably a small version of the way people who do stuff like the, the, the Tough Mudder or Spartan Race look at me and like, you soft little man. You know, people who run marathons probably look at me the same way. I feel a little bit like, why do you do that? Why are you just getting carried along by a machine when God gave you legs? But then this past weekend, I was traveling, and as I got up from my seat on my flight, as I landed in New Jersey, something went wrong with my knee, and I'm now discovering I have a serious problem. I'm getting an MRI this weekend. When I bend it for a while and I stand up, I can't straighten it without pain, and I can't bear my weight on it for a little while. And so I am in Newark, and I'm looking for escalators and moving walkways, and I'm standing on them like, oh, my. It's, it, but it was so revelatory to me that all those people I walk past feeling superior, it's so easy to impugn the motives of others based on what we see them doing without knowing any other story. And I kept wanting to say, I wish I could wear a T-shirt that says, I have a knee injury. I realized that when I'm doing the same thing, as someone else, I have a perfectly good reason and many explanations. I need you to understand me so you think highly of me. But when I look at you doing that same thing, I'm like, oh, there they go. <laughs> it's so easy to be dismissive of other people from a distance. But when it's our turn to be weak or imperfect, we want everyone to know that there's always extenuating circumstances. Jesus tackles that head on when he says, Judge not that you, not be, you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. It's easy to be proud and ungracious when we see people being less than perfect. But remember that one day, it will be your turn to be less than perfect. Regard and treat others the same way that you want to be treated in your weaknesses and in your failings. Jesus then goes on to give this 
seemingly ridiculous analogy. Such a ridiculous analogy that when I tried to generate artwork for this in AI, AI couldn't even do it. You should see the attempts of computers to generate an image for a log sticking out of someone's eye. (laughs) I should have shown you some of them. They were hilarious. Jesus says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? And that's like if you've ever been sawing wood with a power saw and a little bit of sawdust gets in your eye. You're like, whoa, it's that little tiny piece. He says, why are you so obsessed with the speck that is in your brother's eye, yet you do not notice the log sticking out of your own eye? See, it's good to have moral clarity. It is definitely better to be on the side of what is good, what is right, what is just. In other words, to be on the side of God in that righteousness equation, it's always better to be on the side of God. But we have to be careful as fallen human beings not to over-identify with God's side of the righteousness equation. God is righteous. We are just forgiven. Whatever righteousness we have doesn't come from ourselves. It comes from God in us. So that whenever we're tempted to judge another person for the speck in their eye, the plank in their eyes, what it's basically saying is you're closer to the person you're judging than to the God you represent. Be very humble when you're tempted to point out the wrong in another person. It doesn't mean we should never do it, but it says if you're ever going to do it, you better be very sure that not only your mind, but your heart reflects the heart of Jesus. Your goals are the same as the goals of God in that person's life. And you're not just doing a drive-by to get it off your chest. When he says that we have a log sticking out of your eye, here's what he's not saying. He's not saying that your sin is bigger than everyone else's. He's not saying, oh, you're just worse than them. He's saying it's always easier to see the other person's flaw than your own. That's why he's using such an exaggerated image of a log versus a speck is everyone's got the log, but it's just so much easier to see the dirt in someone else than in ourselves. And so Jesus is cautioning us. It's not about comparing who's worse. He's saying in the eyes of God, we're all in the same boat The only righteousness we will ever have is the righteousness given to us by God as his gift. See, I'm not suggesting, and neither is Jesus, that we shouldn't challenge or sharpen or correct one another. But whenever we see something in someone else, we've got to be careful that it's not blinding us to the faults in ourselves because God still wants to do a work in us. And if we can distract ourselves by finding so many other people's issues to crusade after, it can block the very work that God wants to do in ourselves. And have you noticed that mostly we're critical of others in the areas of our strength? So if you're a very um, intellectual, education-oriented person, you look down your nose at everyone who never reads a book. But those same people might be looking at you, well, how come you never run? <laughs> Why don't you ever work out? See, we, we generally use as a standard some place where we're already ahead of the curve, and we hold others up to a standard that comes naturally for us. We've got to be careful, because we're on very thin ice whenever we step out in this way. It doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. We should do it, though, exactly the way Jesus prescribes. Judgment also then blocks the work of God in other people, particularly those that we're tempted to judge. In the West, 
in a courtroom, judges will strike their gavel for a number of reasons, often to start the proceedings. But one of the places where they really hit, and this is always dramatized in TV and on the movies, is a judge will strike their gavel after she has pronounced judgment or a verdict, passed a sentence. And it's a way of saying, my ruling is final. That gavel coming down on that block of wood is a symbol of authority and finality saying, that's it. End of the story. That is the final verdict. You're going to live with that. That is what you have now. It's a dreadful sound if you're the person receiving that sentence. It's so final. And I know that our judgments don't carry that same authority or weight. But on the receiving end, it can feel very much like that. Some people never recover from the verdicts that other people hand down to them. This is what you are. This is your label. Here's all you are. Here's how I see you. And some people are so wounded by that, they don't recover from the experience of someone else's gavel slamming down on that block of wood. And they say, and thus you are. We may not always intend it to be this way, but our judgments can carry the force of condemnation towards another person, especially when accompanying that moral distinction, we, if we're honest, feel a sense of disgust or disdain or frustration towards that other person. When as we're making that distinction, something deep in our spirit rejects that person. Not only do I see a flaw in you, I don't like you. I reject you. I hate this part of you. I don't want to walk with you anymore. The sight of you makes me grossed out. Whenever someone feels that coming off of us towards them, they know it. Human beings are very sensitized to rejection. Do you know that's true? You could tell even when a stranger is judging you, as you pass them on the street, they're looking at you and you're like, what? We're so finely tuned to it, even our passing glance can communicate so much. And half the time, we're not wrong. How do you know that your breath is bad? Because someone, very imperceptibly, you walk up to them, hey, how are you doing? They're like, (laughs) just a little little flicker of that eyelid, but you're like, oh. Because you know you're always sensing when someone else is repulsed by you. And if ever, as we draw moral important distinctions in another person, there is accompanying that a feeling of disgust or disdain or disrespect. It is clearly being communicated regardless of your words. Your spirit has been poured out over that person. And the result on the other end is this. Condemnation shuts down the human heart. Our rejection can block that person's view of the invitation of God and his welcome to them. To say, look, I see you clearly. I know you're not perfect. But God says to them, come to me, be made new. Come to me in repentance, receive forgiveness. I will make you clean. There's a story in John chapter 8 recorded of a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. And so she was brought before an angry mob And I think it's right that many have observed, where's the guy? It's not like she committed adultery by herself, but only the woman is dragged out. And these men, self-righteously angry, have picked up stones and are ready to kill her according to the Old Testament law. 
And Jesus scatters the crowd with a simple sentence. He said, all right, fine. Let those of you who have no sin of your own be the first to throw a stone. And one by one, it says, those angry men dropped their stones and left. Jesus is not being soft on sin here. He acknowledges that adultery is not God's plan. It's wrong. We don't have to show Bible verses to tell us if you're in a relationship, you already accept it out of hand. Adultery, betrayal is wrong. You shouldn't do it and you hate it when it's done to you. He doesn't want to ignore this violation in this woman's life. But they were getting in the way. The rejection and the self-righteous anger, the judgment of these human beings was getting in the way of God himself dealing with this woman in the way that would restore her and cleanse her. They wanted to condemn her for her life of sin. Jesus wanted to have her exchange a life of sin for life that is truly life. And they had to be removed from the scene before God could work in her life. Isn't that interesting? That though we think we're parroting the heart of God, the way we're doing it can often be exactly counter to the purposes of God. So that instead of them confronting their sin, all they're confronting is our rejection. Getting this woman alone, Jesus says in a few verses, he asked her, Where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. She said, then neither do I condemn you. And then Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. The only person in that scene who had the moral right to condemn her refuses to pick up a stone. That doesn't mean he's ignoring her adultery, but he's saying to her, stop it now. From that place of grace and acceptance, he says to her, you don't have to live like this. Stop. Go from this place and change the way you decide to live your life because you've now experienced an acceptance from the holiest person you will ever meet who looks at you without disgust and says, be different, come to me. Salvation and forgiveness are neither cheap nor free. What we contribute to the gift of salvation and forgiveness is genuine remorse and repentance. Without it, there's no blanket amnesty that Jesus' blood just confers to everyone. It's not that simple. There must be real contrition over what we do and a a turning to God begging for mercy. But Jesus knows that condemnation shuts down the heart. It makes a person stop looking for that mercy. It creates defeat in the human spirit. But conviction, coming from a place of grace and love, pierces the heart and compels that person to seek pardon. Sometimes the only way we're going to see God work in another person's life is to remove our spirit of judgment from the equation so that they can confront themselves and they can confront God without dealing with our rejection of them as a fellow human being. Now, hopefully, we don't have to get to the place where we have to be removed from the picture for that person to grow. There's a better way. So we'll look at one last thing. 
a judgmental spirit blocks our work with one another. Have you noticed that it's not just anybody's eye that Jesus is addressing? This is a teaching meant for the people who are already in the community of faith, people who would call each other brother or sister. Often we're very gracious to people outside of the faith. We accept that they're going to be imperfect. They don't know the word of God. They don't know his standards. And so we're very, very gracious and very, very patient for those who are not believers yet. But we're often very much less gracious and less patient for those who say they are saved. And I understand the logic of it. You said you're a Christian. Jesus saved you. Get your act together. Let's go. I understand that impulse very clearly. You probably felt that. I felt it towards others. But I'll bet you someone else has probably felt it about you in an area where you still need to grow. We learn how to practice love and grace not outside the home. That's performance art unless what we have within the home is real. Unless inside your own family there is genuine grace, genuine love, genuine patience, genuine humility, whatever you exhibit of those things outside is performance art. It's salesmanship. It's not real. Because you learn at home what you bring to the outside world. And that's why it's so distressing, so dissonant, when we see someone who is so nice to strangers and so foul to their own family. Do you like that? Or someone's like, oh, bless your heart. Shut up, I'm talking to her. What is that? That's your family you're talking to. You should be more kind, more gracious to your own family than to strangers. Now, I don't think we need to pick one side or the other. God calls us to be humble and loving and gentle and gracious to everyone, especially our brothers and sisters. Yes, they've been saved. Yes, they have a standard held to them. But I don't know a single Christian who lives up to every standard held up to them. We all need one another's help to stay on track. Those moral distinctions, those challenges are absolutely necessary. In fact, do you notice that Jesus presumes that we will take the speck out of our brother's eye? He's not saying don't do that. He's just saying that you got a big old log in your eye that's blocking your ability to do it well. Here you are trying to take that surgical little piece out of their eye and you're knocking them upside the head with your log And he's saying, that's the problem. It's not that you shouldn't take the speck out of your brother's eye. We're supposed to. But it's the way that we do it. And the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Romans, adds another dimension to this. He says in Romans 14, verses 10 to 13, You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother Or sister. Oh, we got to be careful how we read this. He's not saying don't challenge, don't sharpen. But he's saying that the wrath of God and the accounting we all will give one day is enough. The wrath of man gets in the way of what God is after. 
We can be involved in one another's spiritual growth, but never in a spirit of self-righteous wrath or judgment or disdain. In fact, James 1, the brother of Jesus writes in James 1.20, man's anger does not accomplish the righteousness that God intends. We think it will, but our rejection, our disdain, our disgust doesn't produce righteousness in that other person. If they're changing to be approved by you, that will go nowhere. There's no point to it at all. Why should anyone change to be acceptable to another fallen person? It is God's holiness that we must be measured against, and it is God's approval and acceptance we must seek. We cannot stand in the way of that process through our own spirit of condemnation and judgment. So if we're going to be involved in the ministry of sharpening and growing one another, we've got to be sure that that spirit of disdain and condemnation and rejection has been removed from our hearts, or we will, in fact, step into it and thwart the work of God that we're trying to do. Jesus clearly assumes that to remove the speck from our brother's eye is a thing we should do. It's not whether we do it or not, it's how we do it. And I want to encourage us, if you see something in someone else that you know is off, that's different from the standard that our God has held up for us as the people of God. Be very sure first before you speak a word. And these days often we don't speak the words. We write them on our phones to each other. But before we ever do that, make sure that what you want above every other thing truly in your heart is that you want this person to live in the fullness of the love and acceptance of God. To experience the joy of coming before God, being released from their sin, and living out according to the plan God has for their life. Make sure that that's your true motivation. And not just to say, I'm really discouraged by you, or why do you act like this? But to say, what I want more than anything is for you to get right with God and live in that fullness. That's what I really want. That's probably there inside, but it's mixed in with all that other stuff. Get rid of the junk. And let that pure desire for your brother and sister and for the honor and glory of God to rise up. Here's what Jesus is saying. Before you enter that ministry, just take some time to check your heart. Because if you don't, it will not be what you say, but how you say it that will thwart the work of God in them, in you, and between you. I want us to be a church that can challenge each other. I don't think there's a, per- a person here who doesn't need to be challenged, myself very much included. I've got a lot of issues that I need to grow in. So do you. So do you. Who will do that work? Who will do that work for us and with us? We have to be willing to do that with each other. The drive-by shootings, disdainful looks, passive aggressiveness, none of that will accomplish a thing. In fact, as you engage in it, you will divide the very body of Christ you say you belong to. All of us have done it that way, and there's a better way. There's a better way. Let's worry 
about the speck in our brother's eye. And let's help one another. Let's help each other grow. Pause a moment. Make sure that that log is dislodged from your eye first. You don't have to be perfect to challenge another person. You just can't be self-righteous as you do it. I want to invite us to just pause a moment and respond to what you've heard here. I think part of the irony of Jesus' illustration is if you have a log in your eye, how could you not be aware of it? It's such an exaggerated image. How could you possibly not know you have a log sticking out of your eye? I think it's Jesus' way of saying it is that easy to miss a spirit of rejection and condemnation and self-righteousness. It is that easy to no longer preach the gospel to yourself but preach it to other people. It is that easy to forget that apart from the grace of God and the righteousness of God, we are all in the same boat. We who stand in judgment over one another, we have no right to do that. And it's very easy to forget. We have to challenge and sharpen each other. We have to. No one grows alone. No one. We have to do that. I need it. How we do it matters supremely. And here Jesus has given us the way. It applies in church. It applies at work. You'll find it applies even at home. In every relationship. So God, we pray that as we measure ourselves, it will never be against other people, but in front of you. And by that measure, we will always be humble, always be grateful for the mercy that we have received. Remove from us any spirit of self-righteousness in this church, any spirit of condemnation and rejection that allows us to look down our noses at the weaknesses and sins and flaws of others, forgetting our own. Lord, if the enemy has gotten a grip of our hearts so that we're incapable of changing how we think, how we see, how we feel, then we pray, living God, for deliverance, for power to change. Some of us were so shaped by judgment in the homes we grew up in. And we struggle so much to see the world any other way. Free us from that so that we can be a church that sharpens one another in grace and in love and for the glory of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.